This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly sermon podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's sermon. The largest television audience ever in the history of the United States was the closing episode of MASH. It had 106 million visitors. The largest worldwide television audience happened in 2006, the FIFA World Cup match between France and Italy. 260 million people watched it. The first time ever in the history of mankind that two, over 200 million people watched anything on TV. But it would take eight of those matches to equal one Easter. How cool is that, huh? Two billion people on the face of planet Earth will be in a church somewhere today. And they will be singing the praise of Jesus Christ. I hope to be able to give a little context that to, uh, to that to you today. Happy Easter. Welcome. My name is Ron. And right away, some of you are saying, what's this? Right? Well, this is a gift from a lovely lady in the church who is from Hawaii. This is a Miley Lay. It's reserved for Hawaiian royalty, of which I probably don't qualify on either account. But anyway, <laughs> I am so blessed to have it. And she got up very early this morning, stripped the bark off of, of this street, got permission to do that from a neighbor, and brought it in before the first service. So this is as close as I get to a tie. So... I'm going to enjoy it all morning long. And uh, I realize that Easter brings people to church that uh, otherwise don't usually come to church. And that means that there's, uh, I, I just want to give a special welcome to maybe three, uh, three groups of you. Uh, first of all, I know that I'm sure that there are some of you who are here kind of against your own will. You're under protest. But somebody got you by the ear and said, it's Easter and you will come to church with me. And um, and so I have a promise to make to you. We won't bore you, and the time will go relatively quickly. But I have a challenge to give you as well, and that is listen. Because there are many people who came to church, first of all, under protest, that later I just had a lady talk to me uh, as she was leaving first service, and she, was, she had tears in her eyes. And she said to me, you know, if two or three years ago someone had told me that this day would happen in my life, I, I, there's nothing you could have said that would make me believe this. But she said, I, I am so jazzed about life. Um, and the difference is before Christ, after Christ. So um, even if you're under protest, um, listen up. Second group of people, uh, some of you are here and you're on a spiritual journey. You're just beginning to explore the spiritual dynamic in life and you're not really sure that Jesus is everything He said to be and maybe something Bob said earlier caused you to think a little bit more deeply down that line, but uh, you're, you're, you're not ready to raise your hand and say, okay, I'm ready, Pastor, sign me up. But you are on a spiritual journey. I have a promise to make to you as well. And that is you will always find new life to be a safe place to seek after truth. Because... Even those of us who have already become Christians, we are still seeking for additional truth that God gives us. And we are learning more and more about how to live and more and more about this life. And certainly in the context of this service, more and more about the life that comes after this life. 
And so we just invite you, wherever you are in that journey, just kind of jump on board with us. This is a safe place where we never put pressure on you, but the invitation is always there. And then the third group of people, some of you may be new to town or for whatever reason you're looking for a church home, we also have a promise to make to you. And that is New Life is a church that absolutely loves to connect people to God and to each other because we realize that anyone who goes through life and is not connected to God or not connected to other people who are connected to God, that can be a tough way to live and that can get very lonely and that can get very difficult. And so uh, we work every week, uh, not only here at church, but in our life groups and other things to help people make that personal connection with God so that you can be as excited about life as that lady was who was talking with me as she was leaving for service. We also work at helping each other, challenging each other, and we would invite you along on that journey to, to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. And so we're continually working to develop as better followers of Jesus Christ. So every week we work on some practical aspect of, of Christian living. And then last of all, we challenge each other and would love to challenge you to move into a lifestyle of joy-filled service. Not guilt-ridden service. You, you know, I'm not a pastor who's ever going to call you up and say, hey, if you're going to go to this church, then we are going to expect you to do this and this and this and this and this, or else go find a place where you can go sit somewhere else. And that's not going to happen here, all right? But you know something? Virtually everyone who goes to this church works in service somewhere. And many do it a lot. And the reason is they're finding great joy in giving themselves to causes that are greater and and unselfish. Greater than they are and very unselfish. And so that's what we do as a church. We just do only those three things, uh, but they touch every area of our life. So Uh, If you're looking for a church home, uh, if I can help answer any questions, I would love to do that. Now, let's get to the subject at hand, and that is the concept of life after death. You know, Jesus has a great reputation. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about his reputation in a minute. But I'm reminded of the story of a guy who took his nagging wife. Sorry, ladies. It's it's a necessary detail of the story, okay? He took his nagging wife to Israel on vacation. And as the story goes, while they were in Israel, she died, had a heart attack, fell over dead, and now he was faced with the real problem because where was he going to bury her? So he contacted a local mortuary and the officials and found out that in order to have her uh, embalmed there and the body flown back to the United States and buried here was about a $20,000 price tag, but he found a place over there he could bury her for about four grand. That was a tough choice. She was a nagging wife. He finally decided 20 grand. And the guy that that he was talking with said, I don't understand this. You didn't really like this lady, did you? No. Said, it's 20 grand to fly her back and only four grand to put her in the ground here. He said, I know. But I heard of a guy that you buried over here one time and he came back. And I am not taking that chance. <laughs> Let's talk a little more seriously about life after death. You know, I want to read you a passage, a couple of passages of Scripture. Take a look. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, God has planted eternity in the, in the human heart. 
And what that means very simply is this, two things. Number one, it means that there's a voice on the inside of you internally. We all know that we will live again after we die. Now, you may have questions about it. You may not know what that's going to look like. There may be times when you kind of doubt that, but the Bible says, and I believe it so, every person I've ever worked with over 35 plus years of ministry has said to me somewhere along the line that there's something on the inside of them that knows that there's more to life than just here. That's part of your human nature. God put it in there. Secondly, not only that you will live again, but internally you and I know that we will live eternally, which is a, which is another whole concept. And I apologize this morning, I have only about 20 minutes left in which to break out this very important subject, so I'm just going to hit the high spots. But internally you know, there's a voice inside you that says, not only will you live again, but you will live eternally. Now, if we go to Romans chapter 1, we we learn a couple of other things. What can be known about God is plain to them. And if you read it in its context, the them is all people. That would include you and me. So what is plain to us about God? For God Himself made it plain ever since He created the world, His invisible qualities, both His eternal power and His divine nature can clearly be seen for they are perceived in the things that He's made. Now, there's a couple of things you can learn about that. Number one, that same voice on the inside of you that says that you will live again after you die also teaches you that there is somebody out there who's bigger than you are. Every single person knows. Now, there are some people who have quenched and stilled that voice and have decided to live as if there isn't a God out there, but it isn't because they don't have that voice on the inside. In fact, I would tell you openly that every person I've ever met who claimed to be an atheist, actually, if you listen to their conversation, it's not that they don't believe in God, it's that they hate Him. And in many cases, sadly, they hate the God they've been told about because the people who told them about that God did not describe God as He really is. And that's sad. That's really sad. It's hard to quench the voice that God put inside every human being. And then the second thing that we can learn from that Romans chapter 1 passage is this. There's a lot that we can learn about God if we just look at what He created. Now, the God that created you and the God who created me loves us. And and as we break this out, in fact, if, if you're curious about what life after death looks like for the next five weeks, I'm going to be doing a series of sermons called Destination Eternity. And I would tell you very frankly that... uh What I've learned over the last six or eight weeks in the study of life after death from the Bible has changed my own life, Uh, radically changed my own life. I'm excited to be able to tell you about it. I want to show you what life after death looks like. But I can tell you the God who created you and wants to share eternity with you does just about everything He can to help you get on board with the concept of faith. 
Because it's the concept of faith that allows you to live eternally with God. And so what God did is He went through nature and, and what He created in it, He put wonderful indicators that will point us toward the central truths of Scripture. And so God put within our, our hearts this concept that we will live again after we die, but He knew that we would also have trouble grasping that concept and actually really believing that we would live again after we die. So He decided to put all sorts of clues in nature. And so this morning, we talk about Case for Life After Death, which is the final sermon in a, in a in a series of four, the first was Case for God, the second was Case for the Bible, last week was Case for Jesus, and this morning is Case for Life After Death. How, the first place I'm going to turn, in fact, I'm going to give you seven reasons to believe in life after death, but the first five don't come from the Bible. The first five come from how God made the world. Okay, Let's look, first of all, generally at nature. There's all sorts of pictures, quote, of the resurrection in nature. In fact, for many of you, spring is your favorite time of the year. And why is it your favorite time of the year? Because the trees that have looked lifeless and have appeared dead and, and nothing is going on burst forth with buds and leaves and flowers that have been in the ground that, that appear to be dead. I mean, last fall and winter... The stalks all shriveled up and they just fell over and were brittle and turned all brown and ugly. And you cut off the stalks and you threw them away and, and so forth. And you just prayed that that flower would live again. Well, guess what happens in spring? Lives again. God put pictures of, of the resurrection all throughout nature. Let's take a little caterpillar that crawls up on, on a little branch and it begins to weave a tomb for itself. And it looks like death because it weaves itself into this tomb and eventually there's nothing left but this kind of brown, ugly looking little sack that hangs from the tree. And if you don't know what's coming, you look at that and you go, what in the world is that? There's gunk on my tree. And you reach up and pick it off and pinch it and throw it away. And you don't realize that you're crushing life. Why? Because what looks to be dead and what certainly seems to be dead and that caterpillar that lives no more gets resurrected or metamorphed into what? Beautiful butterfly. Now God says, if you're looking... I tell you, you will live again. Look at my creation. I have pictures of life coming from death all around you to help you believe. There's a second thing that we can look at, and that is this. We can look at the laws of physics. And a couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about thermodynamics. And I want to go back to thermodynamics one more time for those of you who are more scientific in, in your outlook and approach. And... and uh, one of the basic concepts of thermodynamics is that matter and energy are neither created nor lost or destroyed in all that goes on in our universe. They may change forms, they may change shapes, but, but matter is never lost and energy is never lost, nor is matter ever multiplied, nor is energy ever multiplied. It's all constant. Well, the same God who created the world with that ability to change shapes and forms and so forth says, of His people, just like I will not allow matter to be destroyed, neither will I allow my people to be destroyed. But as matter and energy change shape, 
so the people I have created I will recreate and they will live forever for no soul I ever create ever goes out of existence. They are my people, my children. So third thing that we can look at, and that is philosophy. If you take any philosophy course, probably even in high school, you're going to do some reading of a fellow by the name of Immanuel Kant, who was um, really, uh, he changed the face of philosophy across across the world. And Immanuel Kant looked at mankind, and as he observed people, he noticed something that no matter whether they were male or female, old or young, whether they were white or black or any other variation of color in between, it made no difference if they were born in the heart of Africa or in a very, very sophisticated culture, that there is a morality and an ethic that is stamped in all human beings that points to an origin of that morality and points to an origin of those ethics. He said it's it cannot be a coincidence that all people from all cultures of all genders seem to share this moral and ethic code. Now, listen to what he concluded. He concluded, therefore, that outside of man and greater than man, there must be a source of morality. And he further reasoned that eventually all people will face what he called ultimate judgment. Hmm. Sounds a little bit like what God says in His Word. That moral code that's stamped into into us points to the fact... Have you ever caught yourself saying, okay, I don't know how and I don't know when, but the guy who did that is going to pay. We all have that sense in us. It's that sense of moral injustice. Every time you pick up a newspaper and you read about some suicide bomber who took out 50 people, doesn't that raise something on the inside of you that says, there's no way that guy can get away with that. That's just wrong. Somebody's going to have to answer for that. Every time I pick up the newspaper and I read about genocide somewhere where some some ruling despotic a maniac is killing off thousands and in some cases millions of people and sweeping them off into mass graves and somehow lives in a palace in luxury, there's something on the inside of me that says, you know what? That story's not done yet. I'll never forget reading. Actually, I saw it on TV. It was the interview of a father whose son had been brutally murdered by another man. And the man was caught, he was arrested, and he was brought to trial. But in the course of the trial, the defending attorney unearthed, it was a minor technicality in the process. And I'll never forget the judge, as as he was eventually dismissing court, saying to the man who had actually done the murder but was going to be let go free, He said, everything inside me wishes that I could bring you to justice. But because of this minor technicality, I must allow you to go free. And they took the handcuffs off and he walked out. 
Well, a reporter cornered the father of the young man who had been killed. And he said, sir, you must be livid. How do you feel? He said, you know, I'm okay. I'm okay with this. And they said, sir, how could you be okay? The man who just brutally murdered your son walked out a free man. I'll never forget what he said. He said, you know, the last time I checked, that gentleman still has one more judge to go. And he said, you know something? I actually feel sorry for him. You know, there's a liberty that comes into our lives when we recognize that there is ultimate justice. It's put in our human nature. Let's go to number four. Number four is sociology. It makes no difference how far into the bush you go. You can go to any culture you can find in New Guinea. Uh, I mean, we're talking way back up in the sticks or the hills. You can go into the jungles of Brazil. You can go into the bush of Africa. You can go up inside the Arctic Circle uh, to, to, to the, the people who live no matter where you go. Or you can get your shovel and you can start digging back into history and you will never discover any society that existed for any length of time that did not believe that there was life after death. Now, there's some reasons for that, okay? One is already read to you, that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. Therefore, most of us find it impossible to deny the nature that God created us with. But there's another reason, and that is because if you ever separate a culture of people from a belief that there is life after death, you rob them of any meaning in this life other than just to have a good time. And when you take meaning, eternal meaning from people's lives, there's nothing to build that culture on and they all implode. It's only been tried a handful of times in history. But every time... It disintegrated. By the way, the people you know who have chosen to believe that there's nothing beyond this life, that there's no accountability, there's no ultimate justice, there's no God who's ever going to call you into account for anything you've ever done, most of them, not all of them, but most of them, are they making good choices in this life? Or do they end up making self-destructive choices? Most of them do. Now, because... Even if you look in culture, if every culture in the world has been built on a concept and has built into its fabric the concept there's life after death, it's probably because somewhere back there there's a truth that those all grow out of. And for good reason. A fifth thing that I want to talk to you about is near-death experiences. Do you realize that over 8 million Americans have claimed to have near-death experiences? And you know the amazing thing about their near-death experiences? None of them comes back and goes, Golly, that was close. I almost went out of existence. You know what they say? I got a glimpse. Most of them say, I got a glimpse of what's coming. And when they come back, do they decide to live more selfishly or less normally? Less selfishly. It's pretty amazing. Now, none of these things that I've just given you prove 
that there's life after death. But you know something? There's such a thing as the preponderance of evidence. And there's such a thing as the heart of God. And God says, I'm telling you there's life after death. And I am surrounding you with all sorts of indicators that will help you believe that there is life after death. Because in truth, there is life after death. And the last two I want to give you this morning have their origin in Scripture. And the first is the Bible itself. I said a while ago that some two billion people will gather across the face of planet earth to remember and to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Huh. Where'd they get that idea? Well, they got that idea from the Bible, which is the most published book ever. It's existed for thousands of years, and it's amazing its ability to change people's lives. And the central and core teaching of the Bible very simply is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, take a look at this verse in the Bible, which points out what its, what its core teaching is. If there is no resurrection, then here's the deal. Let's just eat and drink and, and feast because there's no meaning to life. And if you were to read that verse in its context, basically what the author is saying is, if you take the resurrection out of life, there's no meaning left in life, and life is an empty struggle with very little reward. Yeah. So the core teaching of Scripture is, absolutely, there is resurrection, not only of Jesus, but of you and me. And that's what gives meaning to our life. So the Bible, the most popular book ever, the most published book ever, the most read book ever in the history of the world agrees with every other culture on this point, and that is there is life after death of some form. Okay? Let's take a look at at Jesus. I want to give you some facts and figures about Jesus that, that to me, I mean, there's so many different ways to look at Jesus and recognize how amazing He is. Okay? Your career anybody's career. I'll tell you what, you take, you take the career of any major league baseball player or basketball player or football player, if you're going to make it into the Hall of Fame and be recognized even 20 years after your career, you're going to have to play probably longer than three years, don't you think? I didn't do a search, but I bet there's not too many baseball players in Cooperstown that play the game only three years. Yeah. There's not too many football players in Canton, Ohio that played in the NFL only three years. But I want you to understand that Jesus' entire ministry was only just a skosh over three years. And He was born into a country that was relatively unknown. It's 35 miles wide. That's pretty small. It's 100 miles long. It was subservient to the Roman Empire. It was governed by Rome. It wasn't even governed by itself. And He was a guy who never wrote a book. He never really traveled outside of His own country. And yet, some 2,000 years later, from a three-year span of ministry, two billion people on the face of planet Earth gather in His name today. Do you think you could create a scheme of deception in three years in an obscure country, never writing a book, never traveling outside that country? Do you think you could create a scheme of deception that would last 2,000 years and gather 2 billion followers? Hmm. 
Here's what I want you to know. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, you and I never would have heard of Him. And that's the truth. There's only one thing that could allow anybody in three years to create a following of two billion people 2,000 years later, and that is he had to do something so astounding it was beyond human comprehension in many ways. And that is the resurrection of Jesus. Hmm. What did Jesus say? As we close, I just want to give you three things he said. First thing he said was, when the Son of Man, Jesus, comes as King and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His royal throne and the people of all nations will be gathered before Him. First thing you can know is it uses that phrase, the people of all nations. That includes everybody. The Bible teaches very clearly that everyone will be resurrected, no exceptions. And if I were to break this out a little bit more, and I will be in the coming five sermons, but the Bible says such amazing things as those who have died at the sea, you know, even eaten by fish, the sea will give up its dead. Only God could do that, but they're coming back. You know what that means? It means that because you're living today, you will always live somewhere. You will. And it means on the day when your family gathers around you, hopefully in peace, and closes your eyelids in death, it means that you will just be beginning to live in eternity because you will live. And so will I. And that's exciting. Because it means I don't have to get it all here. Yeah. The second thing that Jesus said was this. Then he will divide them into two groups just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. You know what this means? Ultimate justice is going to be administered. Just like that voice inside of us has said all along. Remember, the voice says you will live again. Jesus said you will live again. You're right. And just like that voice inside of us says, somebody ought to pay for that and somebody will pay for that. There has to be ultimate justice somewhere. Jesus said, you're right. I put that voice inside you and it's telling you the truth. There will be ultimate justice someday. And all the rest of humanity sits by and cheers and said, yes, for those people that commit atrocities and all those terrible things, I hope that God gives them what they deserve because I haven't been able to give them what they deserve in this life. They ought to get it. And then we're struck with a terrible thought. If they get what they deserve, what happens if I get what I deserve? Because after all, if it's justice, nobody skates, right? Yeah. And Jesus recognized that. And Jesus said, I've provided a way. And that's the third thing He said here in John chapter 11. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, Whoever chooses to take his life and believes in me will live even though he dies. What do you mean? Believe in me. Well, Jesus said very clearly, there is ultimate justice and it will be served. So you have two choices in life. You can take the punishment and penalty for your own sin because after all, you did it and you deserve it. And you can take that justice or you can choose to take your life and put it in me and I will take the punishment for your sin and I will pay the penalty for your sin, and I will offer you forgiveness. 
or you can choose this grace. And that's the message of Christianity. There's no other religion in the world that will offer you that. There's no other religious leader in the world who will stand before you and say, if there's ultimate justice, you give your sins to me, I'll take care of them. I will pay the penalty. There's no religious leader in the world other than Jesus who has ever said that. But Jesus did say that. And then He predicted His death. And He died as He predicted. And then He predicted His resurrection. And though they surrounded His tomb with a Roman guard and they did everything they could to keep the stone there, it didn't stop Him. Because when the Lord of heaven and earth decides to walk out of the tomb, no one will keep Him in it. And that same Jesus who raised Himself from the dead will one day call your name. And wherever it is that you are laid to rest, you will hear. And you will rise. And if you put your faith in Christ, it will be the happiest day of your life. And if you chose to ignore that message and walk away from it, it will be the saddest day of your life, for you will see what you chose to pass on. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, it's so amazing that you offer that to anybody. And it's so amazing that in spite of what we've done, you took the penalty. We bless you and thank you. And we pray that you would give us faith today to listen to not only what you've said in your word, but what you've put in our hearts and recognize that there's a resonance there because on the inside we all know that someday we will live again. And we thank you for that. We pray in your own great name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information and past sermons, at newlifepetaluma.com. Dot org. Thanks for listening.